in a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Topic Thunder. Here from the Top top 10 Show, I am John Roca. Uh, I am Matt Nost. This is a show we do each week for our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash the top 10 with the number 10. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of it at the $5 tier and up, you can send in whatever in the world you want us to talk about, uh, ask a question, get our thoughts on whatever we answer. We have no idea what it is before we get it. And I believe it is your turn to start this time. Okay. Sir. All right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, right above the head is the address in case you want to subscribe now while we're doing the show. Uh, let's see here. The first uh, one comes to us from Deepak Maurer, uh, and it's uh, titled uh, Whedon and Justice League. What the F? Hey, John and Matt, this is the first time sending a question over, and I'm a new Patreon supporter, so I'm happy to be joining the train. Well, welcome aboard, Deepak. Thank you. My question is about Joss Whedon and his cut of Justice League. What on earth happened there? I get that WB were massively influencing production, but how did he make that a hot mess of a film? With his past in the MCU, the assumption would be that he understands combo characters, but his film was so tone-deaf to these characters. For example, the stupid jokes Batman would make throughout the movie – I know he is persona non grata these days, but would love to get your thoughts on the Whedon cut, especially after the Snyder cut has been a relative success story. Keep up the great content. You guys are doing wonders to keep us entertained during the lockdown. Best Deepak. All right, Matt, what's your thoughts on this, on what Deepak brought up here? Um, I mean, do you blame Whedon for the first Justice League? You know what I mean? I would say yes and no. And by yeah. that, I mean... Like he took the job, um, and they told him what they wanted, and he was stepping in for another director. So if he knew he was going to be at the whim of the studio, then you've also got to take the consequences that comes with that. If people hate your movie or find out that yeah. like there was some nefarious shit going on, plus the Ray Fisher stuff doesn't really look good in retrospect, and now all of these accusations coming out about people who've worked on the sets for a number of years then yes, at this point, through this context, with all this information, I do have I do give some blame to Whedon for sure. Not all the blame, but certainly some. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know what you mean, because all those peripheral things do affect the outcome. People's yes. demeanor going to the set, if they enjoy the experience or not, if it's fun. But if it's a drudge and right. you hate it, then that's more than likely going to translate into the work that you give. Yeah. So... You're right in that assessment there. I just think coming into a director who had a fully formed vision for this and taking a very specific style yeah. that Zack Snyder has and trying to fulfill that and also looking at the script and, and giving it your flair, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, I think you're kind of hamstrung. It's like uh, blaming Ron Howard for Solo. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't blame him for that. That that was like a too many cooks in the kitchen and everybody was trying to figure out what this is going to be. Yeah. And he comes in after they already had a tandem on pair or on uh, on board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know, yeah, I know what you mean. Though Whedon doesn't escape all blame, right? 
Right, right, right. I just don't foist it all onto his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely fair because, I mean, um, he, did he know that he had to get this thing under two hours? Did he know that the executives, the Warner Brothers executives at the time, not the Warner Brothers executives now, the ones at the time were desperate to get this thing out before AT&T bought them because they were so desperate to get their bonuses. And that's uh, a big reason why they rushed the production of this movie. Why did they didn't mm-hmm. wait for Zack Snyder mm-hmm. to process the loss of his daughter and with Deborah, who was producer and the uh, executive producer on the film and have them come back uh, to the piece. They wanted to get this thing out as soon as possible. They wanted to change tone uh, and direction. And now in retrospect, it looks like a terrible decision. Certainly. But uh, I think the I think the reason he gets a lot of the blame is because not a lot of people go too bone deep on finding out who the executives are, right? The people inside the well, at least the Snyder Cup movement did, but the people outside of that are just like, who directed this? Oh, it sucks, or oh, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, and yeah. uh, you know that aspect of the business exists always. Certain things don't get any love because the previous regime. Was the were the ones that greenlit it and got it out right. there? So there's numerous of of movies where the marketing went to shit because so and so took over and they didn't care. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that definitely happens. And the the pressure from the studio to make it happen is an excellent point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and man, it happens everywhere, right? In sports, right? A new GM comes in. That's not the coach I picked. That's exactly. not the that's not the quarterback I picked. If a new coach comes in. I didn't select that quarterback. You wanted that quarterback, not me. You're saddling me with this person that I didn't pick. So it happens in all areas. It does. Mm-hmm. And especially in any kind of sports situation, you only have then, you know, as a coach, you've got a year max, yeah. maybe, maybe a year and a half Yeah. to prove to the GM that he should stick with you. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise they want to put somebody in place who has the same vision for what kind of football team or basketball team or baseball team or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it it definitely happens, and I also think Whedon gets a lot of the blame because he is persona non grata. Yes. So yeah, it's even more like it's it's easier now to direct more of the blame his direction mm-hmm. because nobody really wants to associate with him. That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. but I also there's no way that four hour cut makes it to theaters. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. So. Maybe he gets 245. I'm thinking 245 is like the the upper limit of what they're going to let Zack Snyder do. Right. That's a guess. I mean, yeah. Maybe I mean, three. Where he's at with the project that he was saying, I'm, I'm trying to look at the uh, longest movies ever released in theaters. And uh, there have been, uh, you know, movies that are, but that was the intention all along. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it wasn't like, oh, I, I'm just going to show up here with this kind of movie. Um Right, yeah. You look True. at all these. That it was never from the beginning like they were going to be. All right, we want a, a you know a ten hour movie or four hour movie because I mean, Gone with the Wind is four hours, and that's considered, you know, uh, what was that? Yes. that? That made a lot of money for the time, and still oh, a crazy amount of money for tickets. Yeah, yeah. So it's also four hours. It was during the depression, so people really felt like they were getting their two bits worth. <laughs> that's true. I didn't think about so, the depression. That's a great point. It's when it came out. So it's like, a, <laughs> and, and there was a groundswell of uh, popularity of wanting to be able to say that you went and saw that movie. Yeah, yeah. It was like this cultural phenomenon that everybody shared, just like Seabiscuit and, and 
secretariat and sometimes right. stories just kind of capture the national imagination and gone with the wind mm-hmm. was one of those things during a time when people were looking for anything and i yeah. mean fucking anything it's where i'm at with covid and tv right now just fucking give me something because <laughs> i am sick of the shit i mean i you know i like the expanse <laughs> but Catherine's burnout we're watching great uh, about uh, oh, genius, yeah. genius rather with uh, Aretha Franklin season three. Oh, oh yeah. All right. Is that good? Are you liking that? <sighs> okay. It's okay. really fucking slow and we're four or five in. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's nothing okay. else, man. It's, it's, it's got its bright spots, but right. I don't know. It's, we're spending a lot of time with a certain aspect of the story that I don't, I think they could have already wrapped up by now. Ah, fair enough. I'm I'm about to finish Queen's Gambit. I'm on the last episode finally. That's been a bit of a chore to get through. Not in a negative way, just time-wise and what have you. So I hear you. But mm-hmm. I saw a trailer for this new one coming out about this guy who was a serial killer in, in Asia in the 70s. Like uh, It's uh, with a couple of British actors, uh, I think. And it's coming out hmm. on Netflix either this Friday or next Friday. So I'm excited. I haven't heard about, about that, that one. I know Kate yeah. Winslet's got a new one coming out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Succession is coming out at some point in 21, but I don't think it's until the fall. Right, right. Uh, right. Yeah, there's like three or four coming down yeah. the pipeline, but um, it's like three weeks out. Like I don't know. I, yeah. We're also watching the John Wayne Gacy Devil in Disguise. That was good. We finished it last night. That last episode is really, really interesting. So okay. uh, she was transfixed by the last episode. Um, but yeah, this was it's a damn good six parter on Peacock. It's a damn good six parter. Uh, if people ha- are looking for something, a new serial killer thing to jump into, definitely recommend that one too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I don't have anything else. <laughs> Literally, we got, I don't know. We've tried so many things and be like, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we finished yeah. Breeders, season one of Breeders, and we're going into season two. Really? I couldn't get one. past the first episode. Really? Oh. No. I gave it all the first, and I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> and I I mean, Martin Freeman is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I don't I mean, perhaps you, you grow to like his character more, so his curmudgeonness mm-hmm. and whatnot, his disillusionment with the world he's created right, is right, right. funnier. But in that first one, it's like, I don't... Where's the charm that you normally have? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's the thing. The, the the show, it's really interesting where the show goes. I hear you, but I, I loved the first episode and oh, it yeah. hooked me. So I guess it's like, you know, whatever. If it works I know. for you. I'm in, I, th- I believe I'm in the distinct minority. It's a, hmm. a lot of people watch the show. Yeah. Uh, I'm not like slagging off, but it's just, there's so much television that it's easy to give up on something after one episode. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I gave up on Queen's Gambit after the first episode. I was like, this is fucking boring. I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. And people had to talk me into coming back to it. So, you know. I what hear. about that that penultimate that you just finished? Totally didn't need that, did they? No, they didn't. Nope. I actually I actually said out loud because uh, today's because uh, Lindley's out in the uh, um, out in the backyard working from home mm-hmm. and stuff, and I yelled out to her. I go, Jesus Christ, is this another? Is this a ten episode thing? And I went back on Netflix, and I'm like, Oh, it's only seven because that sixth episode was completely it's pointless. Yeah. It is- pointless Absolutely and it was like pointless. why are we do we know what's coming yeah so just fucking get to it mm-hmm. that's where i'm at with genius it's just like fuck man why are we going back to the, and spending <laughs> 23 minutes out of 45 yeah. every episode 
Did you see the um the Banderas one? The genius Banderas. No, there's the yeah, there's that one, and I guess Einstein was season one. The Einstein was good. Jeffrey Russian, the guy who played him as a younger Einstein, it's fucking excellent, Matt. Highly recommend that one. Maybe I'd be used to the format, so I'd know those Hmm. that started earlier on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was kind of hoping if this is good, well, I'm very interested to watch both of those others. Hmm. Hmm. Uh maybe we'll give them a try. There ain't shit else on. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what else we're yeah, I tried to get her to watch Lupin. She has no interest in Lupin. So I don't know if, if I'm gonna, we're going to cycle around to that one. A lot of people talking about that one. It's fun. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. and I'm looking forward to another season. Okay. All right. Maybe I can talk her into it. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Thank you for that uh, question. Uh, what do we got next here? Uh, Deepak. Thank you, Deepak. What's the next question we got, Matt? Uh, the next one comes from Machine Gun Lemke. Hey-o. Says, hey, Matt and John, hope everyone's been well just started watching the alien uh pardon me alan versus pharaoh <laughs> docuseries on hbo i want and that series yeah and i'm uh curious if you could do a deep documentary dive into any actor director producer like this or last dance or tiger who would you choose Ooh. i always loved that era of directors where lucas spielberg coppola and De palma were hanging out and working with each other that would be neat but brando or audrey or Catherine hepburn would be fascinating too not to mention people like Rock Hudson or Ilya Kazan. Hmm. Be well, guys. Lemke. I'm going to Lemke. I'm going to have your job, shithead. Um, uh, what do you think, Matt? Is there is there one uh, that jumps out at you? Well, you mentioned some others. You know what one I always really enjoyed was The Kid Stays in the Picture. Oh, yeah, the Robert Evans. Robert guy, Evans. Right? Yeah. Surprisingly engaging. Yes. For a guy uh, who's so full of himself... It was I know. It's surprisingly engaging. You're right about that. Uh, you tend to kind of like him mm-hmm. by the end. Is you know fully inflated as his ego is. Yeah. Uh, it was super fascinating. Um, yeah. I guess within this realm, like Kubrick would be interesting. Oh yeah, Kubrick would be damn interesting. Just because sure. he's very distinct character and idea, and mm-hmm. did things, you know his own branded way. That'd be super interesting. Well, the transition, Uh, right, from a guy who, in essence, was starting out in Hollywood doing contract work, Kirk directing a Kirk Douglas film in Spartacus, a classic like mm -hmm. that, and then eventually kind of rejecting that and creating his own stuff that was very uh, revolutionary and uh, purposefully uh, shining a spotlight on the uh, hypocrisies within our society all around um up and then he does eyes wide shut which is a weird uh last or or, or ai yeah. i guess a weird last like goodbye yeah. to to uh to film so what was that experience like working with tom cruise can someone talk about what that mm-hmm. is like can, are there journals are there diaries of his experience oh there are working with i would love to find those man well there's there's a crazy so he um thought about for i think like a decade decade and a half doing a napoleon film oh yeah that's right and the amount of research i've seen uh pictures and video tours because there's uh, of the obsessive nature of what he did into that there was a like those those file cabinet cards for the dewey decimal system oh they had that for all the events that they could find across every biography for napoleon organized sequentially Mm. and I mean, how I mean, how obsessive 
do you have to fucking be yeah. if you've chronologically read the 50, 60, 70, how many other biographies and discussions about this one subject mm-hmm. and just going through and cataloging every small detail and whatnot. And that was a project that didn't get off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was 2001 like? <laughs> Why he's faking the moon landing. He's also making this amazing film. <laughs> And the shining and the shining and the shining. Imagine what it's like to make the shining knowing that the author of the book hates your guts for what you're doing to his story. Like that's insane to have that on top of you uh, and have it be known as you're directing the film, you know, so just fascinating stuff uh, to explore with someone like Kubrick. I think the best Stephen King film, too. Yeah. Ironically, it's got to trap his ass so hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I got nothing against Stephen King. We're both fans. We both read his yep. books and see his movies. And I'm not, you know, I'm not talking shit. I'm just from the perspective of mother motherfucker. This, yeah. this is your favorite. This is your favorite. <laughs> well, fuck you. Like, all right. Um, but it is. <laughs> yeah. I feel exactly. bad, Stephen. It's not not slagging off on your work, man. You're you're incredible. I agree. I agree. Uh, <laughs> but cinematically, this is uh, my favorite, I believe. I'd have to look at the list, but I'm pretty safely secure in my my choice right now. Yeah, I think maybe only Shawshank comes close uh, in terms uh, of Stephen King movies to still take to Shining. Yeah, still take Shining. So yeah, it is it's, so fucking good. It's a master filmmaker, dude. Yeah, I love Shawshank prime. just yeah. like you do, and everybody does. Green yeah. Mile. That's Green another Mile's short good. story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it Chapter One. Yeah, I'm very absolutely. much a fan of Stand by Me. Damn Stand by Me. Yeah. yeah, there's been good, but yeah. Shining's the one that I watch the most. Well, Shawshank. But, yeah, but Shining's the one you respect. Like Shawshank is good to watch, and it's you can watch it anytime you want. And you love it, but The Shining is like you know you put that on a pedestal. You put that in a museum somewhere, as opposed to Shawshank, which is good uh, mainstream entertainment that works really well. The Shining has, you know, a documentary around it that to yeah. you and I is fascinating. Absolutely. And it's fascinating. it's fascinating because a few of these are wackadoodle ideas mm-hmm. and they find people competent enough to relay the information where you're like, you know what, I see what you're I see what you see. I don't agree, but I see what right. you see. You got me there, but yeah, it's an interesting take. I don't know that it's necessarily a discussion of that, but that's fine. Um, yeah. yeah. But the like the diagram of the big wheel as he goes around and how when he runs into certain characters and whatnot, it's in yeah. this parallel kind of dimension. And like, wow, this is how long did you think when, you know, when what was the yeah. moment you had that thought? Exactly. Like, oh, oh, like, was he just jacked? Like, oh, just calling out to his daughter and people around him. <laughs> Such a great idea. High five me before I tell you about this. Because that's how good it is. It's about the Minotaur. (laughs) Yeah. But uh Oh my God. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh take a Kubrick for sure. Kubrick. I mean, for me, Wells is always gonna be the one. He's one of the most unknown yet most known quantities ever. Because if you I've read so many biographies on him, so many Mm -hmm. interviews with him, and he contradicts himself all the time. So to have someone kind of strip it all away and really do a deep dive documentary. I mean, there's a great documentary attached to Citizen Kane 
about how that all happened, right? How that came to be. And that's just a small section of his life. You could argue the most important foundational section of his life, but it's just a small section. Imagine doing it out from what happened after that, having films taken away from him, trying to come back to Hollywood, the issues uh, with the studios there, what he was doing, uh, uh, um, the, the Charlton Heston movie, Touch of Evil, and then self-financing his Shakespeare films, and then going off to Europe, and then doing those terrible commercials to try to stay alive, and then writing mm-hmm. The Other Side of the Wind, like there's just so much that can be explored and he dies, you know, uh, of a heart attack in 85 from obesity, you know, from, you know, grandiose obesity, obesity. So there's so much to kind of explore because he was legitimately a genius. What was this like all from depression and making work in the depression, making his bones as a theater director in, in his early twenties in the depression to, mm-hmm. you know, all the way up into the mid eighties, what, what that life must've seen and experienced and consumed overall. So yeah, that would be fun to explore that. Okay. Like that's a six part series. If you can give me six parts on John Wayne Gacy, you can give me six parts on fucking Wells, man. Um, yeah, I, I think Gacy is easier to consume for the masses than, you know, and possibly true. Oh, Wells. Possibly, possibly. Well, you have to care about Wells, whereas Gacy gets you in the what's the psychology of somebody that kills that many people. Right. And I think everybody's curious about that, whereas you need to be curious about well, just like Kubrick. There's mm. bound to be countless people being like, no. Yeah. Like his movies are too long for me. So why in the world am I gonna watch a documentary? True. I got a buddy that listens to this show and he can't sit through a movie. <laughs> So, so he just listens to us talk about movies yep. he's never going to watch. Nope. That's awesome. He's seen like a handful. He, he texted me one day. He's like, I got to be honest, man. I, I couldn't tell you last time I saw a movie in the theater. I can't sit through one. But I listen to your show. I like it a lot. Well, shout out to you, man. Really, man. Thanks All for right. listening. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> us talking about something that you don't have the patience, I guess, to sit through. He just gets bored. But he can watch any sporting event, however long it takes. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, and yeah. their own, you know? Yeah. Everyone's got their thing, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Somehow, though, for him, just sitting through an entire movie is not going to happen. <laughs> All right. I think a deep dive on the Beatles would be interesting, right? One without any kind of influence from any of the Beatles or their wives. Good luck. Yeah, I know, dude. It would be great. It would be great. But I would love to see that, you know? A real exploration that is flaws and all let's see it. Um, Cause okay. the, the greatest, arguably the greatest group ever should have a massively great documentary made about them. That, that one they did with ABC a few years, that was horrific. It uh, does not hold up in any way, shape or form. Um, so yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't know that you're ever going to get a real yeah. kind of documentary until they're all passed away. Yeah. Um, and their wives. Yep. Because, you know, Yoko's hardcore about that shit. And, um, Linda's passed on, but I think uh, I think Harrison's wife is still around. And I don't know what to deal with Ringo. So, yeah, it would have to be for a bit before they could do that for sure. Um, uh, I mean, rock bands would be good. I'd love to see Pink Floyd's. Whew. Well, yeah. just like Sid Barrett. Um. Losing his mind. Yeah. 
in essence. Yeah. And then the turmoil that created and then Roger Waters storming in to like the, the power vacuum and yeah. they created some brilliant stuff, but you know, At he also expense. burned them out. Well, yeah. they moved on without him. Uh, yeah. And still made incredible stuff. But it's like, wow, you had all this talent and turmoil and it's such a weird story that one of your members, um, you know, lost his mental faculties yeah. Yeah. by every estimation. Well, it's uh, like that almost happened with the Beach Boys, right? With Brian Wilson when he was like, yeah, from, you know, out playing in sandboxes and shit, you know, dealing with his mental health stuff. You know, it's no judgment on it. Just that's what seemed to be part of what was happening for him. Yeah. Wait, but you can judged. see that in Love and Mercy. Right. Right. Exactly. Which is good. Yeah, it's good. But I also think the Beach Boys aren't really the place you want to go for a deep dive incisive documentary you know so or incisive film it's fun to watch but i don't think it's quite the but i like your idea of uh of pink floyd definitely um yeah i mean there are a few there's a lot i mean like you said it all depends right it all depends on yeah. what your your interest i think montgomery clift would be fascinating to explore as well because of okay. you know he's a gay guy in hollywood who is kind of in the closet but struggles with that and the other actors know about it. Burt Lancaster apparently put him through hell in From Here to Eternity. Got, kind of was homophobic towards him, made some really terrible comments. John Wayne, like, the, what was that experience like for him uh, negotiating and navigating uh, Hollywood and how it broke him? Because by the time you see him in Judgment in Nuremberg, he's that's a character he's playing, but that's very much what's happening in becoming a grip. Same thing with Judy Garland. Judy's another one, too, definitely a real deep dive exploration and what she had to deal with. And uh, when we see, and it's in the movie and Judy, it's alluded to, you know, a few times, some of the things she went through, which is how she ended up the way she ended up with drugs and what have you to try to negotiate or navigate her life as best as she could at the end. You know? So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to, there's a lot on. there. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Thank you. Lemke. Uh, also, let's skip this one because it's Lemke's, right? Another one? Yeah. Should we go to Joe Abara? He, that's right. why he's machine gun, baby. That's right. That's right. Joe Abara says, uh, hey, guys, let's talk action. What is your favorite era in action movies? In my opinion, the first straight-up action movie was 1982's First Blood. You're absolutely wrong. Like all things, action movies have evolved. The 80s were machine guns with muscles and cheesy one-liners. The 90s were over-the-top premises. The 2000s were more spy-based with shaky cams. I would describe the 2010s as tamed PG-13 rehashes with the exception of the rated R Mad Max Fury Road, which to me is the best action movie in the last 20 years. So what are your personal, what's your, what are your personal favorite eras and are action movies going the way of comedies where you're seeing less of them and they are not as good? Uh, Matt. Well, I don't know about them not being as good. They're just different. You just listed mm -hmm. every, you know, decade and how to you it's personified by these very specific descriptors mm -hmm. and while true i think it evolves and once people stop going to the more comedic ones it'll go to something else right and it'll just keep evidently it as you just pointed out in no way is this set in stone it's pretty yeah. fluid um but of those decades he listed all right so 80s i'd agree with that assessment i guess if you're just talking straight action movies yeah but the 90s had some of those and over the yeah. top premises more cgi okay. um yeah bolder premises i would say yeah 2000 spy based so we're saying what all jason Bourne that defines the era 
I guess so. The green grass stuff, kind of the handheld, and uh, Doug Lyman, of course, doing the first one. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, I think that one there's there was a lot of different. Yeah, eighties. Like, yeah, you can easily submit as machine guns, muscles, and cheesy one-liners. Sure, sure. But then you've got Die Hard in the eighties, which is you do not machine gun. Some one-liners, but not necessarily cheesy. Yeah, but that was also a shock to everybody yeah. that that was a hit. That's actually a very good point. Yes, it, a lot of people didn't anticipate. Yeah, that. they assume people wanted jacked muscles and cheesy right. one-liners because that had been selling Buku tickets for four years, five years yeah. by the time Die yeah. Hard yeah. came out, and they cast Bruce Willis, a TV actor, Alan Rickman, first film project. Yeah, we're hanging it all on these two, and uh, crushed it. But uh, yeah, and let me throw it. Look, Aliens is eighty six. That's mm-hmm. not muscles and cheesy one liners. Um, what else here? I've got uh, Big Trouble in Little China is also eighty six. That's funny. Um, yeah, but it's cheesy. It is cheesy. That's for sure. And I, I mean, the first action movie, I know you can go back to the Great Train Robbery, obviously, in the early 1900s. That's what's considered the first. But I I would say uh, French Connection was the first one that it was like, oh, shit, we can do this. You know what I'm saying? And so um, you really really, call that an action movie, though. I mean, the way they were. I mean, all of that. And you know what I mean? Well, say, say you take a movie and it's one of those hybridized whatever else. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You start with drama, do you not? You know what I mean? I, when you go to describe it, you'd be like, it's a drama and then these other things. Okay. So whereas action movie, like it's a fucking action movie, then the first thing he goes, it's an action movie, or it, but it's a really good one, and here's the premise type of... Right. Uh, it's a hybrid. You're right, because it's crime movie. It's a thriller. Yeah, detective story. Movie. Yeah. A but little international flavor. chasing this guy down. You know, yeah. it's constantly chasing this guy down. So, and then you get that huge action sequence in the in the uh, in the car. So, I kind of look at it to me as what about the fugitive? I mean, that kind of bucks the '90s stuff, doesn't it? That's '91. So, I, I guess what he's trying to say is like there is a foundational stereotype you can make about action movies in every decade, but that's yes. but there are those films in every decade that are action movies that transcend the genre. Yeah, and that are. Anomalies to the stereotype you're assigning. Yeah, yeah, like Die Hard or uh, like we just say The Fugitive. That's certainly an anomaly for the '90s yeah. stuff. You know, I mean, do you share his doomsday assessment of they're just not as good today? No, I think we, I think we've seen so many of them that I think we require new ways, like romantic comedies. What destroyed romantic comedy was were the was the advent of psychiatry psychology and health self-help becoming so huge and those people that you those books you were reading telling you that those movies show you an unrealistic version of love it's not real what they're showing you and this isn't the way it works out and a lot of people were going to these therapists in therapy because they thought well this is the way it's supposed to be i saw it in the movies i got my cue from that and you know and i think that kind of destroyed the idea of this illusion so now we seek romantic comedies that have a more social bent to them have more of a approach about uh, gender dynamics versus male versus female that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that's more equal um and i think that's good 
you know, but that's why they've changed with action con- with action movies. We've seen everything you can do with an action movie up to this point. Now it's about what can you show me to go back to its roots and what are the fight sequences? That's really what's important now. That's why the raid is so good. People love the John Wick series. Yeah. If you haven't seen the Nobody film with Bob Odenkirk, it's fucking excellent. Also great yeah, fight sequences. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's good, man. Fight sequences, uh, all of that. So I think that's what they're looking for more now in action movies is more of the everyman, more of the dude being dragged into this shit and having to fight his way out of it because so many of us are stuck in situations in our lives where yeah. we're having to kind of negotiate or fight our way out of stuff. So, well, I mean, like you brought up with aliens earlier, there's sci-fi is also another way into this type of world. Absolutely. <clears throat> your loopers, your day after yeah. tomorrow, your yeah. it's a, it's an action movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's got this really interesting premise. I think we, as a, you know, we gravitate cause there's just so much, available and they're also building on the heritage of what came before yeah yeah so i don't know i think the future is bright to be perfectly honest yeah which just it's a transition time so yeah, you're looking to find but we're still getting damn good action movies you know i mean you could argue that all the marvel movies are essentially action they movies they're superhero movies but they're action movies as well so yeah they're you know science fiction meets fantasy action movies yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, all right, but <laughs> all right. Well, we're at the 32 minute mark, 33 minute mark. I think it's good to wrap it up there. Um, what he does, what? Joe does send a follow up saying, Correction oh. on the last email Escape okay. from New York is the first action movie. It isn't Escape from New York, which I don't There's think holds no- up anymore. There's no way a 1981 John Carpenter film is the first action movie yeah. ever. The Joe- thing. Do some you research. Could, yeah. You could thing. sell me on the thing first. Yeah. But that to me is a horror, then a psychological, then an action movie. It's right. like it's a, it's a couple things to me before it is an action movie. What do you call the samurai movies, Joe, from back when Kurosawa was Seven Samurai? That's essentially an action movie. Yojimbo, yes, it's a, a, you know, more of a contemplative, reflective, but still an action movie. Mm-hmm. So you can argue, you know. And then the, the Westerns. Heritage, yeah, I was about to say that the heritage of the westerns, yeah, action um, movies there, man. So, uh, yeah, um, all right, well, there you go. Thanks everybody for watching this episode of Topic Thunder. We appreciate it badly when you send in your topics, send in your subjects, and your comments, and uh, you know, keep sending them in. We like to have more than less, so we have a number to choose from and have fun conversations. And you know, as you can see, only three questions today, but we had some fun conversations over the three questions. So, keep sending them in, uh, as a perk of being a patron of the uh, top 10 show right matt yes sir and uh that is it for this week uh follow the show at top 10 show on twitter or on instagram and youtube it is the top 10 podcast with the number 10 and uh, you can follow me anywhere at matt nost follow me at the roca says on twitter and on instagram don't forget to sign up to our patreon if you haven't done that yet come aboard and we'll talk to you next time on another brand new episode of topic thunder